It impacted on so many people on that day when, when we didn't know whether I was going to be alive or not. And they went through all this shock and, and I was not aware of anything. I was just out of it, fighting somewhere inside myself, fighting for my life. I'm Charmaine Griffiths, Chief Executive of the British Heart Foundation and host of this special series of podcasts celebrating 60 years of pioneering research into heart and circulatory disease. As part of this series, I wanted to speak to some of our ambassadors and VIP supporters to learn more about their own personal health journeys and how the BHF's research has played a role in transforming or even saving their lives or those of loved ones. In today's episode, I'm thrilled to be speaking with a legend in the game of football for both club and country, Mr. Glenn Hoddle. Glenn's playing career has taken him from Tottenham to Monaco, and after hanging up his boots, Glenn managed multiple clubs, including Tottenham, Chelsea, and of course, our national team. He is now a pundit, and I'm delighted he's found the time to speak to us today. So a very warm welcome to you, Glenn. Hi there, it's great to be here. Lovely, well, absolutely brilliant to have some time with you as well. So Glenn, I'm gonna dive straight in. Take us back to that day when you turned 61 in 2018. Tell us a little bit about what happened and what you remember. Well, it was incredible in the sense, Charmaine, uh, that it was my birthday. Um, so it was such a weird scenario. I, I, I don't honestly remember too much about the actual day. Um, there's a few isolated incidences. Um, I was working for BT on the day. So I was doing a live show on BT. So I, I remember four things from that day. Uh, Harry Redknapp was on. I remember uh, Paul Ince and Robbie Savage giving me a birthday cake during the show. And I remember also the weirdest thing ever, because Harry was going into the jungle, they brought on a lizard. A big lizard came on. And I remember that. That was something I remembered. Um, and I remember everyone in the, you know, squealing and running away from it, Paul, in, <laughs> Paul Ince and myself included. So I remember that, which is so weird. And obviously when I said that, after the operation that I had, or, or when I came round, people thought, it, oh, you know, it was the medication talking or whatever. I was hallucinating. But I, I found out a week later that it was true that there was a, a lizard on the show. So it was really weird how that, that stayed in my mind, those three or four things. And I do remember squeezing my son. My son was the first one to get to the first hospital that I had to go to for an X-ray. I remember looking up in the uh, in an ambulance and and squeezing his hand and looking at his face, and that's all I remember, Charmaine, out of the whole of the the scenario that happened. Um, the next I knew of was I woke in the hospital with a doctor and a nurse, and they were explaining what happened. So it was quite surreal, quite as you can imagine. I I just didn't know what had happened. It was it was a crazy, horrible feeling in many ways, but. Um, scary in the thing in, in the fact that you know i collapsed hit my head on the floor in the bt studios and you know what i've looked back on things and i think to myself that could have been it that could have been so that could have been it i, I, I may have never come back round again and if it wasn't for simon daniels doing the uh, cpr you know there and then in the studio he kept me alive and um you know allowed the medics to come and do do what they needed to do so that was, that's, you know, still very, well, it's massive, obviously. I'm lucky to be here. Um, but I can't remember that much about it. I think the family can remember more about what happened in, in them hours and, and, and things like that, which I've, you know, discussed with them at times over the last 
couple of years. But uh, it's a weird thing what the mind does, doesn't it? It shuts down. Interesting. And and how um, funny they thought you were hallucinating about the blooming lizard as well. You've, you've tickled me. My goodness. That's um, so talk me through a little bit when you when you came around and the doctors and nurses started explaining, they must have been telling you what had happened to you. Well, it was very confusing for me because number one, and I've, when I say this to people now, they are exactly of the same opinion of myself. I didn't understand that a cardiac arrest was different to a heart attack. So the doctor was trying to explain what happened and that I would need surgery. But at the time, I was going to have to wait because with the CPR, I broke. Uh, Simon did a fantastic job. He broke seven of my ribs. So you can imagine the pain I would have been in. And, and then I think my kidneys were at the my kidneys were, were in, in a bit of trouble. So I had to wait for the uh, quadruple bypass, you know, and they were explaining to me what had happened. But if I'm honest, it was just going over my head. Uh, I couldn't take it all in. Um, they were explaining that stents had been put in for a short period of time um, until my kidneys would settle and then I would have this quad quadruple um, bypass. The surgeon, Stephen, Steve Edmondson, sort of explained it in a very simple way that if I imagine a cardiac arrest is the electrics and the actual, what he was going to do is the plumbing. So the plumbing had to be redone under the veins. So um, it was it was such an eye opener. It was such a shock in many ways. Even just understanding that a cardiac arrest is completely different to a heart attack as such. So, you know, that in some ways that was because Simon had done a fantastic job keeping me alive. And I think with a cardiac arrest, which is also frightening when I heard this, that you, you've only got about three minutes before you know, someone needs to be there and a defibrillator needs to be there pretty quickly. And Glenn, you know, we're passionate at the British Heart Foundation about training people in CPR and making sure everybody who suffers a cardiac arrest has good access to a defibs. And perhaps we'll come on to your brilliant support for our kind of work in that area in a while. But you've mentioned Simon a couple of times and perhaps people who aren't so familiar with your story. Tell us a bit about who Simon Daniels is and, and how you got to know him in this exceptional circumstance. Oh, exactly. Uh, I mean... Simon worked for BT on a Saturday morning show that we were doing. So he was a sound, he's a sound engineer. He works for ITN as well on the news. Um, and he's behind the scenes, really. So you wouldn't see him at the front edge where the cameras are in the studio. Just just works just a little bit in behind. So, you know, there was multitude of things that could have happened. I could have, it was just at the end of a show, I could have walked off. I didn't. I stayed around in the studio, in the big studio in BT. Yeah, I could have took a phone call. I could have made a call or gone to the toilet and been on my own. But, uh, you know, as fate had it, I was still in that big studio. And there was obviously, when I collapsed, there was a hoo-ha and there was, you know, how Simon said he just heard something that was going on, put, put his head in. And then, of course, I, nobody knew, but he, he's a volunteer policeman, Simon, or he was, and um, he knew CPR, like the back of his hand. And um, he, they say, just took over, and he was absolutely brilliant. And, it, you know, I owe him my life. It's as simple as that. He came in and he just took over. He told people to go and get the defibrillator, and he started the CPR on me. And uh, as I say, he was breaking seven ribs, which is... The nurse made me laugh, which 
made it very sore when I was in. She said, oh, that's the sign of a really good CPR, that is, seven ribs. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, she, so, so her judgment was how many ribs were broken, whether it's a good CPR or not. So joking apart, it was obviously a serious matter. And, and you know, and there was there was people like Paul Ince who had managed with England and, and Wolves that were on the show. You know, Harry Redknapp, who is a good friend and, and uh, I've known for many, many years. You know, Sav. Um, Robbie Savage was a part of his show. There was all the people there as well, and it must have been, you know, quite horrific for them. Um, obviously, I collapsed. I didn't know. And Simon did his CPR on me for about 15, 17 minutes. Even when the paramedics came, they said, look, you keep going. You're doing a good job. So he kept going whilst they had to prepare and do what they had to do to get me off to the uh, London. I went to the London hospital, I believe, uh, first of all, because I'd hit my head so bad. They were worried I'd done some damage to my to my head they probably thought even when i was saying i was thinking of lizards and whatever they probably thought there was some damage at the time <laughs> when i came out with that but um no it, you know that's what happened and 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 as i say i was oblivious to it all i was i was yeah, unconscious i was out so i was in the hands of um of simon really and and i owe him my life and I know how much that means to you and that you're really delighted to get to present uh, Simon with our CPR Hero Award at the oh, British Heart yes. Foundation Awards. I think that was in 2019. Yeah. So just tell us a little about uh, that moment and how special that oh, was. That was such an emotional special. I'm, I'm chilling. Oh, I'm, I'm getting goosebumps now. I mean, that was that was amazing. To, uh, the, the, the one thing I was really worried about was they said to me, You've, "We've got to sneak you in round the side, make sure that he doesn't he doesn't see that you're there." So all night I'm I'm sort of playing behind this pillow and, and ducking behind people and thinking I've I've got to go to the toilet at some stage. So I, so I planned my way. So it was a bit of a night like that, and I was a bit worried about you know bumping into him. But we got through that, and then and then um, it was just wonderful. It was wonderful. I, I can't remember a word what I said. At the time, it was very emotional um, and it was just a lovely, you know, what can you do when someone saved your life? You know, we've remained friends uh, now and he still works for BT when I'm working there at different times. And, um, you know, he's, got, he's been to the house and stuff. He, he, he's he's going to be my friend, obviously, for life. And he's such a lovely guy as well. But having that moment to be able to say thank you, and that's what it was. It was a... You know, it was an award which was was well, well, well deserved, but it was just more, really, I saw it as a real personal way of just thanking him, you know, um, which I'd done privately on many occasions and I do now with phone calls and text message. But um, it was just lovely to do it in that environment, actually, mm. you know, Very where we were that indeed. Night. Yes, it was. So, yeah, it was it was a lovely evening. I really, really, my, I brought my daughters, my two daughters come with me as well. Oh, fantastic. And they, and they loved it. They, 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 they really enjoyed seeing me hand that over to Simon. Oh, what a special moment. Thank you for sharing that. So we're talking about CPR and the importance of it. And clearly um, Simon's CPR is, is, as you said, helped keep you alive and, and critically that. So have, um, I know CPR training is really important to you. Have you and your family learnt CPR? Tell me a bit more about that. What we actually did, and I was still in big recovery. It wasn't too long after. I think it was probably six weeks, maybe seven weeks after. Um, the fact, the whole family, we we went to to our, you know, uh, I think it was my son-in-law and my daughter's house, 
and they've got a big sort of extension as well. So, and there was about sixteen of us there. I couldn't, I couldn't do it because obviously it was on my chest was still, you know, recovering. But I was there, and we had we had it all in one sort of room. The, the whole family doing it, and they had the the dummy bodies coming in, and um, it was quite you know amazing. And and it's so important. Of course, it's so important. It really is. But it was. We learned quite a lot in the sense that you know people were shattered, absolutely staggered how tiring and how shattering it is to do it properly. And Simon said that Simon, after you know working on me for for the minutes that he did, he was absolutely shattered because um, obviously emotionally as well and the stress of of what of that is incredible. And and you don't realise all these things until you look into it and you have a lesson and. And they tried. So, yeah, so it was quite, it was lovely to see my daughters and, and, and son-in-laws and, and nannies. And, you know, it was, it was, it was really, really a lovely way for us to do it. And I didn't know, I did, I did actually choke up. I got choked up a little bit during it. I must admit, it was quite amazing to see how much had to have been done on me. Um, because I keep saying it, I wasn't, you know, conscious. I was, I was, but it is such an important thing. And, and, and we don't realize that until something like that happens, I must admit, but it's mm. something we got to react. And I know this laws have been changed, but for, for the life of me, I don't understand why we haven't been doing it for years in schools. If, if everyone comes out of school knowing how to do CPR, then somewhere along the line, somewhere in the future, that will save someone's life and more than one person's life. So it's got to be worth doing. And I think the government, you know, as we know, are, are looking to change that. And uh, and that's really something I would uh, advocate and really, you know, really get behind if it needs pushing. You're right. Do you know, we're with you. Absolutely believe that it should be on the school curriculum because once you've learned it, it's something that's easy to bear in mind and refresh. I'm really delighted that CPR is on the school curriculum in, um, for secondary schools in England and Wales and Scotland have also pledged to add it. So we're just hoping that Northern Ireland follows suit. But uh, yeah. like you, tireless advocates for, for getting it onto the school curriculum. I've done the CPR training too. It's actually fairly simple to do. And once you've got it, you've got mm. it. If it were a family out there or someone thinking about CPR but doesn't think it's you know um for them at this moment what would your message be to them Glenn what would you say oh d uh, do it do it it's it's you know th don't be hesitant really I think you it's it's very it's interesting you'll learn things as well you'll you'll learn so much you'll open your eyes but as you say it's not as complicated as people might think it is you know, quite a simple technique in the end. And you have to be, the one thing that uh, I think si when I've spoken to Simon and obviously what Simon did breaking the seven ribs, but you have to, what we were taught is you have to go strong. And that's why it's so fatiguing anyway. It takes yep. a lot out of you, but you have to go and and be, no, don't hold back. That's the only thing I would say, get the technique right with it, with the hands and where, but it's it's the actual having the confidence to say, Okay, and I'm, I know I've been joking about my ribs, but that is the sign of you have to do it that forcefully that, you know, that it will break ribs and it might be one or it might be seven or it might be five. But that is something that, that you have to overcome. It, I think people would probably worried if they'd be a bit timid on it and you don't. You have to be quite, you know, forceful and put your weight through your arms and the technique is there. And that's the thing you just need to really learn is the technique of doing that so that it will have a difference. Obviously, you've yep. got to put some weight through it. 
And I think that's the main thing that hit me. I didn't realise how difficult it was fatigue-wise. Yeah. At the end of the day, there's a lot of other things that need to be done, but it is that timing of that forceful, you know, your hands are in the right position, but you're forcing and, and recharging it. In a way, you're, you're, you're recharging someone's, you know, heart and, and, and everything that's, that, that's closing down. And, you know, you can do that on machines, but you haven't got a machine there at that time. That's, that's why it's vital in those first three minutes to, to actually be able to do that. So I would have no reservations whatsoever. And in the end, there's no better thing in life when you think about it than saving someone's life. Mm. Yeah, I don't gift, think you can, I don't think, yeah, I, I don't think there's anything in life. It doesn't matter. You can win a thousand lotteries. It's that wouldn't change just what Simon did for me, for instance. So, um, you know, it's such a big thing. It's, you know, to save someone's life. And it, you will save lives as well. As we say, the amount of kids that now will come out with that somewhere, even if it's 10, 15 years later, on holiday somewhere, they might be able to just interact and, and remember it all and, and, and save someone's life. And it's, you know, that's got to be worth it. I agree, Glenn. And I know at the BHF, we do everything we can to either train people or advocate for training on curriculums. Because at the moment, the sad truth is only one in 10 people who in the UK who have a cardiac arrest today survive. And we know that the more it could be a loved one, it could be someone at work, it could be someone you don't know, or uh, as you and Simon colleagues, you and whatever it is, you just want to have that kind of confidence and know what to do if it happens. So the more of us that can get trained, the better. Um, tell me a little bit about your family. You're really clearly very proud of them. And also it's brilliant that you've um, done the training together and you're, it sounds like you're close in that regard. This must have been a massive experience for them as well. Oh, so I mean, tell me a little bit about how it impacted them. Well, you know, that, that was the massive thing in the hospital at that time. Lisa, my partner, um, was incredible. She really was. I mean, the shock of the day. She, we, we've gone through you know, the story a little bit because obviously I didn't know what was going on and the nursing and, and, and what she did for me afterwards at home was incredible and, and her children and my children together, my I got two girls and, and you know, Zoe and Zara and, and Jamie, my son, who was first there with Sophia, who's Lisa's, you know, daughter. So Lauren and Georgia, they're, they're Lisa's daughters, and, and they were a phenomenal. They had to pick mum, you know, their mum up. Lisa had to be, you know, she was in shock at the beginning, I believe, and getting rushed into the hospital. So she needed that support first and foremost. And obviously my children was in shock. And the problem, not the problem, but it was so, it had to happen quickly because I was on television at the time. It was only one minute after we actually finished filming in a live show. So... Straight, it was going to get you know it was it was out virtually as it happened, mm. and so that was a, a, a very delicate one for people to uh, to react quickly. And 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 Terry Ellis and uh, and and Terry uh, Terry Byrne, who were my representatives at Ten Ten, did a wonderful job in controlling that and getting that out to the family first and foremost, and on the day. So the the shock of that right going right through. The, the, the whole family was 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 incredible. It really was. Mm -hmm. um, so, mum, you know, I've lost my mum and dad, bless them. Um, so it was it was a concern for for my kids and and, and the children's mum Anne as well, my ex wife. She had a lot, you know. She was very supportive um, uh, with Lisa and and with the children. And so it was, it impacted on so many people in that on that 
you know, on that day when, when we didn't know whether I was going to be alive or not. And, mm. and, and they went through all this shock and, and I was, you know, not aware of anything. I was just out of it, fighting somewhere inside myself, fighting for my life. So, uh, yeah, it was a re amazing, but the support that I had, you know, going on my walks and, you know, the rehab was quite incredible. The fatigue levels, I've never experienced anything like that. But as I say, you know, the nursing at home every day and the, was was phenomenal from Lisa and and um, the people that uh, were there 24 hours. And then my kids were there, you know, as much as they could do. And my grandchildren, you know, that that, that was the unbelievable thing. Lisa's got um, Jack, who's six, and I've got Rosie and Teddy through my girls. And, you know... That's you know the extra time that Simon's given me and this and the surgeons have given me, um, and I've had. It, 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 you know, I've, I, I look at my grandchildren and think, oh, I've got an opportunity to to see them grow up, and I'm having just such a wonderful time. I've got a picture of them now next to the computer, and I'm just looking at them, and it's just that's if there's nothing else, that's the reason for me to be alive. You know, it's as simple as that. <laughs> Do you know, I know so many people listening to the podcast will recognise that actually and that feeling of the mm. gift of extra time with people and extra yeah. time that they're with loved ones and, and nothing being more precious. So thank you for th sharing that. My goodness. And I know that you um, you've had good rehab, like you've said, and you've had uh, an ICD implanted as well. Mm. So uh, yeah. tell me a little bit about how adjusting to life has been <laughs> for you. Have you had to well, adjust? What, what's the treatment route or regimen look like right now? Yeah, that was that was interesting. I I. I, we had a sort of family debate and um, uh, about the having the defib put in. I wasn't hundred percent sure, and you know there was people that were saying in the medical side, "Well, we don't think that will happen again," and then there was another side of it saying, "Well, we can play safe here. We should be safe." And so I had to make this uh, decision, and and it, it, I had to make it. Everyone else. Uh, you know, said what they said. I think my, my kids definitely wanted me to have it put in. My concern, Charmaine, was I, I remember saying to the to the surgeon, it was it was a different surgeon to, to Steve who had done my uh bypass. Um and that was the other thing. I, I was I was recovering from the bypass and then so I had to stay in hospital for another two extra weeks or something to then have the defib done. So it was all in one and I'm thinking, oh I love, you know, what they do, that the NHS and the nurses were just incredible at St. Bart's. They really were. But like any patient, I wanted to get out as soon as I could. Get but home. It, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So in the end, I thought, well, I really want to get out. But in the end, we made a decision and I, I made the decision that, that, that to have it put in, to play safe. But I remember saying to the surgeon, <laughs> I said, um, well, I love my golf. I want to play golf. I said, put it in. Where do you think it should go in the front side or the back around the the back? Where 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 it's not going to impede my golf swing. So I, that's all I was worried about. Your like, golf swing. Yeah. So he, he, we had a chuckle about that, but he was quite serious in the end, and straight away he just said, "I'll definitely, definitely put it around the back, so, you know, on the side around the back." He made the choice for me, and I said, "Okay, make sure that you know we had a ch we had a because you have to have a sense of humour as well." By then, I was you know I was recovering. A little bit and uh, I said make sure you put the you know the mark make sure you put the mark where around there not in the front I don't <laughs> want my I don't want my handicap uh, you know obliterated so yeah so we had that and um, yeah so it's been a bit of adjustment it was strange it's a strange feeling sometimes 
And then every Monday I have to, I've got a, uh, next to the bed, I've got a, a little computer type of thing that I have to press the button and it takes my reading. And uh, I knew nothing about that. That was like, wow, this is incredible. And it goes back to the hospital. So it's it's wonderful, you know, really what, 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 what can be achieved. So it's a nice feeling to have that. That little, I must admit, every every now and again on a Monday, it's got Tuesday comes around, I think, oh, no, I've forgotten to press the button. <laughs> so, <laughs> Go back and do it. <laughs> yeah, but no, it, it's quite reassuring, obviously, to have that. I just pray to God that it doesn't have to be used again. <laughs> but, and how's um, your golf handicap? Has it gotten better? Oh, it's, it's fine now. It's okay. It was, it was a worry at the beginning because it was quite sore and a bit, I was a bit tentative, but... No, I'm fully back, uh, fully back playing um, with a with a full swing. So uh, <laughs> great to hear. You've mentioned your family a lot. So last thing on family, had your family had any experience of heart disease before? Had, had that run in your family, or was this completely no, out of the blue for you guys? No, this is what was such a shock. There was there was no nothing in in my in my side of the family at all. Um, so that's that's why it was a shock. And also, I I had I've had. AF for quite a long time before, 15, probably 10, 12 years before. So I was on some medication for that, but I had that checked in, in May. So um, it was a bit of a breathing, slight breathing had changed. So I had that looked by their specialist and, you know, had a, an angiogram and a few hours. So that's, that's why there was two sh real shocks to me. You know, I thought my my heart had been checked and it had been okay. But um, obviously, whatever I had done at that time was looking for something else. That's what Mr. Edmondson explained to me afterwards. And and the miracle, I mean, I've had so many miracles with when I look back on all these things where, you know, how, how I'm still alive is quite incredible. Um, because, you know, this has been, I was living off, I think, 1% of, of the last vein the major artery so you know no wonder i was feeling a little bit tired i felt tired and that's all i had you know as i say i was going into uh, to do a live show on television so i wasn't feeling ill i didn't feel you know just felt tired over the, the sort of three or four months before when i looked back when i reflected back there was yep. times when i was falling asleep when i shouldn't have been falling asleep um not when i not when i was driving fortunately <laughs> but, but <laughs> But I was, I was, yeah, I was tired. I was tired more than normal. And I thought my heart was okay because I had it checked in May. And yeah, so it was, it was a massive shock for that reason as well. And, and I was, you know, so fortunate that it happened where and when it happened on my birthday. Quite incredible, really, isn't it? I mean, mm. people don't normally pass on their birthday it's not a normal thing is it really i don't know what the percentage is very glad are. they didn't my goodness and yeah, simon yeah. sorted you out and do you yeah. know what your your sense of humor and spirit shines through this uh, interview and i know you're not the alone in saying actually that having a good sense of humor as we've spoken to other of our ambassadors who've um, gone through a, a cardiac event have, have said it really helps power them through so really welcome that you talked about uh, other your family a bit and the fact that you, you had a bit of af prior to to the cardiac arrest have uh, has it made any of them think about their heart? Have any of the family got tested around this? No, my well, my three my three children. Uh, I think that's what came out of it as well. Uh, I've been they, well, they we got tested straight away. Uh, um, all of them now have been done. Well, they were done within three or four months, and I think that was sensible. And I think we spoke to the doctors at St Bart's as well, and they said, look, 
there's every likelihood they'd be okay, but you know, why not? Let's get it checked. So they went off, you know, they went to their doctors and they, and we've had it all, they've all been checked. So that's fortunately, everything looks pretty good. Um, Wonderful. So, I'm sure it's a big yeah. peace of mind for you as well. Yes, very much so. I remember at the time saying, saying, well, you want me to have this defib put in as long as you go and make sure you go and get checked, you know, checked out. And that was the, uh, that was the, the, negotiation. <laughs> I love the tactic. What a great deal that was. And uh, I guess to start to wrap up, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. We ask all of our brilliant ambassadors and, and guests on these ticker tapes. And the first is what advice would you give to someone who's perhaps going through a cardiac event, has just been diagnosed, just had a heart attack or is recovering from a cardiac arrest? What would you tell them? Well, the biggest thing is to be patient and to go with what the experts say. Um, they know they've seen it a million times before. I think sometimes you can you can want to rush yourself back and and listen to your you have to listen to your body. Uh, that's one thing I as being a sportsman, ex sportsman, you know, if I was injured, you want to get back on that that pitch so quickly, you would cut some corners, you know, in your rehab to try and get back from an injury. Well, you know, this this was this was never going to be like that. It was going to be different, and that's what I had to deal with. Um, but I think what hit me to make me so patient actually was my first walk. You know, you can imagine I come home come home out of the hospital. I hadn't been walking. I was still you know resting for I don't think I think it was probably six weeks five weeks but I they said to me probably a little bit less than that four weeks just the first walk was you know go 300 yards literally 300 yards and then that's it and my word those first 300 yards were quite incredible I couldn't believe how fatigued I was how tired I was and then when I came back in the house how it just hit me so you know, and I just slept, I just slept. It took so much out of me. And I thought, you know what, that's a lesson now. I'm not gonna cut any corners. I'm just gonna take this nice and easy. And that extra time that I've been given, you know, it's prolonged now. So don't, you know, you've got time. I've got time now. That's how I looked at it. So it took a very gradual, you know, whatever was needed on the medical front. And that's where Lisa took over with my medic medication. You know, all them things need to be sorted out. And sometimes when you're under medication yourself and you're fatigued, it's very difficult if you haven't got that support around you. And she took over and she made sure everything was perfect for me and it was all done. And, and as a patient coming back with that fatigue and, and, and trying to get back too quickly, I, I think you could have massive problems and cause problems to yourself so it is about patience it is about you know going with the experts going with the doctors and 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 they say these things but that first walk was a lesson to me and it made me just jolt me and say ah take your time be patient and i i read a couple of i, I read a i had a couple of books with other people's experiences of cardiac arrest and and i think you know I was now going living through it and it was all pretty much they're all pretty much paralleled in saying take your time be patient mm. you know don't put a, a time where you know you should be up and running and doing this and doing that eventually it all does come but I think you can set yourself backwards if you if you try and push yourself too early too quickly I've had to change slight my diet my diet change has been slight it's not been you know I had a pretty good diet anyway I didn't eat, I haven't had white meat since 1988 so I've had a fish and whatever but I, 
I've, I've got a decent uh, diet. I probably change the salt, uh, going to low salt, which I use now. We use a lot more. Yeah. Um, but but it hasn't been drastic that I that I've had to change. I've got to keep an eye on it, of course. But um, it's like anything else; it's a balance. Trying to get a balanced diet. Indeed, and and everything in moderation, and that those words on patience and looking after yourself super super important. I know. And then lastly, from me for questions in I guess reflecting on this journey, and um, what's it taught you about yourself? Oh dear. Um, well, I'll be open and frank. I, I, I've always had a belief in the afterlife anyway. Um, so I believe we go on. I don't think it's, we're just here. So I do believe, I believe the spirit lives on. Um, and I've always had that philosophy, not always, but I've had that philosophy for, for, for many, many years. But having what's ha happened to me, um, it, it, it sort of hits you in a different way in the sense that life is so precious. It always has been, but it is even more now. Every moment uh, you take, every moment with loved ones is, is extra special. It was always special, but now it's, you know, as I'm talking about my grandchildren and, and the connection with people. And whether that's somebody you meet in the street or somebody that you've known for years or your family, it's almost like it's what you achieve in life. I think this is what come out. What you achieve in life is one thing. How you do it is more important. And I think that's what that's what's unfolded in me more and more. Mm. You know, we can be successful at, at something. Um, in a way, it, what it, what it's made me think is, I'm so close to of passing that all the things I did in life, whether it you know in football, if you like, career or anything, they would have gone as well. They're they're, they're just superficial, really. It's how I did them things, really, that is more important. Um, and that's how I'm looking at it now. It's, it's, the, it's the journey is more important than the destination where you end up. You know, it's, it's what every single day, every minute of every day, you know, this is what life is about. It's, it's a learning curve. It's a growing, spiritually growing, making sure you, you do the best you possibly can to and be with people and, and how you work with something it, that's the journey the actual end product you can't take with you i couldn't take any medals that i've won or any appearances i've played for england or or what i've done as um you know as long as i've done them correctly and done them with the right spirit behind it and with the right thoughts and the mm. right positivity then you've got to you know that that that's what hit me more than anything coming round and coming you know, in the re re recovery and, and every day that I've got now. So that special time I've got, I do call it extra time. It's a football terminology, extra time. And, uh, <laughs> and to make a joke of it, I just say, well, I just hope we don't go to penalties. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that, Glenn. And it's been such a, a privilege to hear you describe your story in person and to be so open with um, me. It's been a real privilege to speak with you today. So Glenn, I was just going to finish by saying thank you for sharing your journey, for sharing with us your sense of humour as well, from lizards to extra time and for absolutely everything you do for us as a British Heart Foundation. Um, your story is incredible and your support means an enormous amount to us. So thank you. No, it's been an absolute pleasure, Charmaine. And uh, the work you do, you guys, is, is wonderful. You know, the BHF just, you know, raising as much money as we can to help anyone with the heart uh, problems. That's, you know... The work you do is marvellous, so continue and good luck with that and um, I'm proud of, of what you do. Thank you.
The British Heart Foundation is celebrating 60 years of saving lives through pioneering research. There are over 30,000 out-of-hospital cardiac arrests every year in the UK, but currently only 1 in 10 people survive. The BHF is working hard to change this. Together with other organisations, we campaign tirelessly to get CPR training on the school curriculum for secondary school children in England, and this came into force in September 2020. Wales and Scotland have also pledged that secondary school kids will have this training. In addition, we are working with the NHS, the Ambulance Service and Microsoft to create The Circuit, a national network of defibrillators. The Circuit will link a UK-wide network of defibrillators to every ambulance service in the country and the public in a bid to help save more lives from cardiac arrest. Early CPR and defibrillation, like Glenn had, can double the chances of survival from an out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. As we celebrate our 60th birthday, our eyes remain firmly fixed on the future and what we hope to achieve over the next 60 years. We want a cure for heart failure, better treatments for stroke, ways to prevent vascular dementia and so much more. The BHF have been part of breakthroughs like heart transplants and pacemakers, stents and clot-busting drugs, and our goals for the decades ahead are even more ambitious. If you would like to fundraise in honour of the BHF 60th and be part of helping us continue to save lives, then please visit bhf.org.uk forward slash birthday. For more inspiring stories from our high-profile supporters and our patient community, please listen to and follow the ticker tapes on the BHF website or wherever you get your podcasts. And to everyone listening, thank you for joining us. I'm Charmaine Griffiths. Bye for now. The stories, recollections and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of our special guest and not those of the BHF. If you, our listeners, have any health concerns, please seek advice from your GP or health professional. For more information about any of the conditions discussed in this podcast, please visit BHF's website, bhf.org.uk.